Hello and welcome to the third podcast in our Unlawful State series in which we look at unlawful decision-making being made by the British state across a number of sectors. Um, my name's Oscar Ricketts, I'm a journalist, and I'm here today with Steve Valdez-Simmons. Steve was called to the bar in 1995. Since July 2014, he has been working as Refugee and Migrant Rights Programme Director for Amnesty International in the UK. He also works, volunteers I should say, for the Project for the Registration of Children as British Citizens, PRCBC, which is the first and only organisation to focus directly on children and young adults and their right to British citizenship. In December, PRCBC successfully took the government to court because the Home Office has been charging registration fees that are deemed unlawfully expensive. And I will now be talking to Steve about that campaign and about what he and his colleagues have learnt in using the law to tackle unlawful decision-making by the government. So, Steve, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Um, can you, shall we rewind to the, to the beginning of PRCBC? Can you explain what the organisation is and when it started? Yes, PRCBC is a very small charity that was begun by a person who's now my wife, um, who was in practice and was seeing that many children were uh, facing being expelled from the country despite having lived here all their lives. And despite having had rights to British citizenship, which no one had done anything about, um, and essentially she was so distressed at this, she decided to set up this project, as she called it, basically to try and raise awareness predominantly among lawyers, but increasingly among other people, to these children's rights to stop this happening. Her thought was that a few months focused work on getting information out about these rights would change practice and have the impact that she hoped for. And unfortunately, the more she dug into this, the more she realised how far the ignorance had spread, the more she realised what the barriers were to these children establishing the rights that they have in law. And therefore, seven years on, she's still going. When So this was seven years ago? Yes. Um, and so that we are not also living in ignorance. Can you tell me about the difference between citizenship law and immigration law? Sure. I mean, there's a long and painful history in the UK of mixing immigration policy and nationality law, and we probably don't have time to get too much into that. But to a degree that culminated in the British Nationality Act of 1981, which is at the heart of what we are discussing today. That is the piece of legislation that sets British nationality law now. It's why I'm a British citizen. It's why anybody is or isn't a British citizen. At the time of the act being passed through Parliament, anybody born in this country was British by birth. And the act changed that. And so from 1983, there have been many people born in this country, no longer born with its citizenship. Parliament changed the law because it thought that there were at least some children who were being born to people who were only passing through the country. So the children weren't going to be staying. They weren't going to be growing up here. Their connection wasn't going to be here. And it wouldn't be right, Parliament thought, for them to be British 
or for them to be able to pass on British citizenship to their children. However, Parliament knew that many of the children that would be caught by this change were going to be staying here. And so it set out various rights by which they could register for British citizenship by entitlement to ensure that they grew up just like their peers, British too. And that is what has gone so terribly wrong, because that scheme, if you like, that statutory scheme is not working. And the fee that we'll discuss is one of the major reasons why it's not working. Can you, can you, tell, us, can you tell us about this fee and in relation to that, can you, can you tell us sort of why now in, in 2020 this, this is not working? Sure. Um, it used to be the case that to register as a British citizen cost you £35. Um, there was no power generally for the Home Office to charge fees above the administrative cost of anything that it did. In the mid-2000s, the then Labour government decided to use the powers of the Home Office to grant people things, including immigration status, but also nationality, to raise money towards the immigration system. Nobody thought about the nature of these particular rights when that power was just introduced right across the board of all the things the Home Office did. And so years on, you now have a fee of over £1,000 for a child to register the right to British citizenship that is theirs by right, um, but which is way above the £372 the Home Office says it costs them to register the child. And it's all about generating income from an immigration system that should have absolutely nothing to do with these British kids. In the last 10 years, 60p in every pound that goes from central government to local government has been cut. You know, we are, we are forever thinking and talking about austerity and we can see its effects everywhere. In, in, in this ecosystem, we have the Home Office essentially deciding to profit from citizenship applications. Yes. And this is something that you have, I, you and PRCBC took the government to court on. Can you tell me about that process and about about the, about the court case which ended last December? Sure. Um, so PRCBC has over a long period of time um, both researched into the origins of British nationality law, the origins particularly of these children's rights to British citizenship, and the origins of this fee to understand what Parliament was licensing when it introduced powers to raise fees, what it understood of what it was doing, and what it understood of the citizenship rights in particular, that it was impeding or potentially impeding by passing this power for the Home Office to raise above cost fees. Also, what PRCBC has investigated is very closely um, the justifications offered by the Home Office for the fees that they charge. And essentially, the justification the Home Office persists in is that firstly, and they said this in their evidence to the court, that it just wasn't in the best interest of these children as a generality for them to have the citizenship anyway. Their best interests were served by being granted an immigration status, despite the fact that for the majority of the children, they're born here and have never lived anywhere else, so are not migrants and should not be subject to that system. And that somehow, therefore, it was justified for the Home Office to raise income towards the immigration system because these children are, in its eyes, migrants. Well, they're not. They weren't in the eyes of Parliament when it passed the citizenship laws 
going all the way back to the 1981 Act. And so it's just illegitimate, essentially, to treat them in this way. And, and that was what was being argued in front of the court. Now, there were various arguments. We may get into some of the discrete points that were, that were run. Some were successful and, and, and others were not. And indeed, this litigation will be ongoing in relation to, to some of that. But at the core of this is the justification of the Home Office in treating a child born in this country, grown up in this country, fully connected to this country and to no other in many cases, as if they're just someone whose life is connected somewhere else and has just chosen to come here, perfectly legitimate thing to do, to migrate, um, but is therefore here at some degree at the pleasure, if you like, on the permission of the Home Office. And that just does not apply to these children. Could you talk about how PRCBC has used strategic litigation to, to challenge this injustice? What PRCBC has done is carefully construct its arguments by reference to quite painstaking research, both into the, the law and its origins. You know, I myself, um, along with um, my wife in particular, have spent hours in the British Library going through the parliamentary debates, going all those years back to understand properly what Parliament intended and what these laws, therefore, from 1981 actually mean. Plus, go through the debates in later years that introduced powers for these and indeed other fees. Then what has happened is there has been also um, a great deal of research on the impact on children. So understanding who actually is affected, how they are affected, getting at least some idea, I mean there's no precise information, but some idea about the number of children who are effectively blocked, deprived of their citizenship by a fee that they or their parents cannot afford, um, and understanding the impact on those children. An important aspect of the judgment, for example, is based upon the evidence that was put forward, where the judge goes to some length to describe the alienation, exclusion, social isolation, all the terrible feelings, apart from anything else, that many of these children suffer because they are finding themselves treated in some very real and very personal way, different to their peers. And you know, understanding that and being able to present the evidence of that has been an important part of this case too. The other aspect, I suppose, in the preparation has been particularly the parliamentary work that has been done to get on the record persistently the paucity of the Home Office response in justification of what it is doing to be able to demonstrate, therefore, to the court, particularly how little the Home Office either understands or cares about these children's rights to citizenship and their best interests, which are obviously so wrapped up in their citizenship entitlements. It occurs to me that I need to ask you to explain Amnesty's role in this case as well, because Amnesty is also involved in this? Well, PLCBC is very much the lead partner and Amnesty is very much a supportive partner to the excellent work that PRCBC leads on. Um, 
we, we've given evidence in this case um, based particularly on our knowledge of um, the impact of some of the statelessness provisions and the relevance of, of, of those in relation to particularly refugee children or children of refugees. Um, we've also assisted uh, PRCBC with some of the research, but one of the ways in which we've been able to assist is both with our capacity to do media work, but also our capacity to do parliamentary advocacy, we've been able to jointly with PRCBC ensure that a growing number of parliamentarians have become more aware of these rights, able to understand and articulate them, and therefore to interrogate the government through parliamentary questions, through debates in parliament, through questions in committees where ministers sometimes have to appear to expose the paucity of thought and justification that lies behind what the Home Office has been and continues to do through, for example, this fee. At what point did you then decide that you could bring a case against the government? And, and what did you have to do in order for that to, to come about? Um, so PRCBC first started putting together um, if you like, the case as opposed to sort of the background research um, in, I think it would be 2017 um, and first issued proceedings in, in, in 2017. And it's taken this time, in fact, um, to get a decision from the High Court. So that's, that's you know, two or more years of, of the litigation work. Um, partly what was needed was to find... Um, children entitled to citizenship um, who can't afford the fee, who are willing or whose parents or carers are willing to litigate to ensure that they understood the consequences of litigation, the length of time it might take, some of the risks that are involved, um, including potentially cost risks. Um, and also, I have to say, to prepare some of the lawyers that would be needed to support that case um, on an area of law that, frankly, very few people are familiar with um, because, you know, these rights have been so long overlooked for so many years. And, and even, you know, experienced nationality law practitioners have tended to overlook these specific registration rights of children and so have not been in a good position to challenge this. And the other thing that has been a part, a big part of the preparation, and indeed a big part of litigation, and has an, had a, a, a big impact on the judgment that has been received, is I'm afraid some lawyers, a little bit earlier, jumped the gun. Not, not by bringing the case at a time in which it shouldn't be brought, but by bringing the case before they properly understood the nature of the rights they were litigating. And so one of the hurdles that PRCBC has had to overcome is a court of appeal judgment, which has said that the fee is lawful. When did, when did that happen? That was in 2017. And what was the justification for the fee being lawful? Um, essentially, that the Home Office relied upon the general fee-making power that was given to it first in the mid-2000s and most recently by an Immigration Act from 2014. And they said, well, there's the power on the statute book. We can do whatever we like. Um, and I'm afraid the challenge that was brought 
neither properly understood the nature of the citizenship rights specifically, nor was able to present, therefore, those rights in a way that highlighted just how much, firstly, disrespect of children's best interests this therefore led to, but also the implication of trying to rely upon, which the Home Office does, a generalised power across all of its immigration and nationality functions as the justification for a specific fee in relation to very significant statutory entitlements. And I'm afraid that wasn't previously articulated, and it was a barrier to this litigation. Indeed, it's one of the reasons why this case, although it has succeeded, has not succeeded on all grounds. PRCBC found, I believe, two children who were willing to act as claimants, along with PRCBC and with the support of Amnesty. Um, the and the, the 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 case itself took two days in the end, and and the the judgment was was came out largely in your favour, but you're saying not entirely in your favour. What happens now? Because the Home Office's response, if I'm right, has essentially been great. We'll take a look at it. Well, not even that, actually. Um, the, the, the or, Home Office. We've noted it. Yeah. Well, the, the 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 Home Office, firstly, has applied for permission to appeal and been granted that permission by the High Court. PRCBC also, however, has sought permission to appeal too. PRCBC, importantly, has asked for permission by the High Court to apply directly to the Supreme Court, to what's called leapfrog the Court of Appeal, in an effort to knock out that Court of Appeal judgment. And the High Court has permitted that. So PRCBC is about to issue its application to the Supreme Court to hear this case. And that will be important, not just because of the vital attention that it will again give to these important citizenship rights of children, but it will be the opportunity for a definitive ruling on the nature of these statutory rights and the impropriety, therefore, of any fee that large numbers of children can't afford and from which the Home Office wrongly seeks to profit, to pay for an immigration system that, as I say, has nothing to do with these children. Right. And, and this, to talk about, because there, there is also a sort of theme here, which is that you, you, have, you have looked into the law here and you've looked into the parliamentary debates and what you have found is years and years worth of misunderstandings. And in, 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 there's a, there is also a good character requirement that comes from the Home Office now for children. And from what you've told me before, that came about almost as a result of parliamentarians not understanding what they were actually debating. Is, is that, I mean, is, w- would it be fair to say that? Because the character requirement has been moved from adults to children. And so you now have a situation where children are also being required to prove that they have good character, as well as this fee is, you know, on top of it. So children over the age of 10 are now required to show they are of good character to register their rights to British citizenship. Um, that was introduced at around the same time as the power to charge fees at above cost. And it stems from a very similar misunderstanding. If you read the parliamentary debates uh, in relation to character, ministers were repeatedly saying they had to bring this test in for children 
to ensure that people who come to this country were of good character and therefore it was appropriate for them to be able to stay. And that is quintessentially a misunderstanding of the fact that the children that they were impacting upon were born here, lived all their lives here, weren't coming here, didn't need, shouldn't have needed any other justification over the fact that they are British and connected here. Um, so, yes, we see a very similar uh, misunderstanding in relation to this. And these misunderstandings persist. And I'm afraid they're not just misunderstandings by government. You know, they're misunderstandings by campaigners, children's rights organisations, lawyers, many parliamentarians, many, many others. And while people persist in describing these children as migrants, as people without an immigration status, it is just continuing to fuel the very misunderstandings from which both the character and the, f- the fee and indeed other barriers to children claiming the citizenship which is theirs by right um, now and into the future. And of course, not just the children, but their children's children. And PRCBC has seen this. PRCBC has represented children born in this country who should have been born British because the parent before them born in this country should have been British but wasn't even when their child was born. How you talked earlier about the you know finding people in this situation do do you know do you have any idea how many children are in this situation in the uk right now we know there are thousands there are probably tens of thousands there may be over a hundred thousands there have been academic assessments um of 120 140,000 but do we know no it occurs to me that you know, for a, for a small organisation like PRCBC, with the support of Amnesty, of course, that you're 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 using strategic lit- litigation, but you're but you're really fighting an educational battle, and you're dealing with a lot of manufactured ignorance, um, and and much worse. And I suppose I wonder how much you feel that the law in this case is is your friend and how you're sort of able to to use it and not use it well i think the starting point here is um the work that prcbc and amnesty doing are doing together um is firstly focused on the rights of these children and it's grounded in that and so to that extent the law is our friend what's not our friend is how that law has been interpreted, misunderstood, um, and continues to be misrepresented. And there are now many barriers in, in law, but at the core, the basic rights that we start with, um, they are the friends of these children who together um, we're representing or whose claims and rights we're trying to advance. There are, of course, deeper questions about the law, um, and you know whether the removal of what's known as Jusoli birthright citizenship, the idea of being born in the territory, whether that, for example, was an injustice which ought to be simply reversed. Um, also, the injustice done um, to people of the Windrush generation who began as you know their lives as British nationals 
but had that nationality taken away from them. Um, so, yeah, it'd be wrong to say that um, everything about the law is friendly, <laughs> but it provides opportunities if it's properly understood. I mean, to, to, to take Windrush, you have a situation where nationality law and immigration law are distinct things, as you've talked about, and they then get treated as the same thing. That is backed up by, you know, enormous societal racism. Uh, the idea that actually, you know, these people aren't really British citizens because they're not white. And so you can go and, you know, we, we saw what happened. That, that, that sort of stream, that river, it took people a long way, you know, and, it, and, it, and, and people died as a result. And so at the beginning, you feel like, well, this is, you know, the law is, you know, in that case, you feel like, well, the law is working in tandem with the, these kind of poisonous attitudes and structures in our society until you get to a point where campaigners are then able to use it to help people out. But a, an awful lot happens before then, doesn't it? Well, I think what this case shows is that it is vitally important to, first and foremost, if you're engaged in campaigning about law and policy or engaged in litigating, <laughs> to know the law and policy that you're working with, right? <laughs> yeah. And it sounds obvious, but... but the truth is that many people don't and haven't. And many of these problems have occurred precisely because of that. Why? I mean, are we dealing with a particularly complicated area of law? Or are we just dealing with, you know, it's it's, or are we dealing with, or are we dealing with with sort of deliberate blindness or deliberate misinterpretation? Is it is it actually, is it actually a little bit more, you know, is it actually sort of darker than that? It's not that people don't know the law; it's that they kind of choose to ignore it or or, or, or twist it. Um, it's like anything; it's probably all of those things, isn't yeah. it? Because you know, <laughs> any impact of 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 policy, or of you know behavior, whether politically or socially, is a product of a whole range of people and institutions. So some of those may be more malign than others. Um, there are complications. I mean, it's not straightforward. And of course, the longer things go without people fronting up to understanding what the law is, the more ingrained it becomes the thought that it's something else. And the harder it is once people are invested in a way of thinking to change the way they think, to change the way they speak, and to change the impact that they have. Um, and I think, you know, that, that is a huge part of what PRCBC has been engaged on, is changing the nature of understanding and discussion of British citizenship rights of children. Back to what it should be back to an understanding of those rights as they exist as on the statute book and away from how they've been allowed to develop by a protracted uh, period of treating children, mainly black children, born to people mainly who've moved to this country, as if the children are migrants rather than as if the children are British with citizenship rights because of that. The children that you've, that, that, that PRCBC is helping are, 
you know, it's probably I'm 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 probably I'm not inclined too much to sort of say, oh, you know, is there a type of person that we're talking about? But we're normally talking about um, we're normally talking about, as you've just sort of alluded to, we're normally talking about black children born in this country whose parents were probably not born in well weren't born in this country, and is is that sort of is is you know is is that sort of generally speaking who is being affected here that's mostly true i mean um as i've said this problem passes across generations so it is the children of children born in this country too yeah because if you don't secure your citizenship potentially you aren't in a position to pass it on to your child um and you know, there is an increasing problem now um, arising out of the situation of children born to EU citizens too. Do you foresee this being a being a kind of issue in the next? It already is. It already is. And what's happening in with in in this case? Well, in in the EU citizens case, I mean, it's it's dreadful, but there has been so much invested in. A settlement scheme for EU citizens to be able to regularise their immigration status when their EU law-based rights disappear when the UK leaves the EU. Of course, that scheme's terribly important. Those rights are terribly important. But all done with no care or attention to the fact that some of the people who are being invited to sign up for this immigration status through this scheme, some of them are already British citizens, just don't know it. Some of them have rights to British citizenship, but don't know it. And if they do know it and want to exercise their rights, they too will face barriers, including a £1,000 fee. Whereas, of course, the offer through the settlement scheme, no objection to that, it's free. So essentially, the government has managed to engineer a situation where there is a huge incentive for British kids to be treated as if they're not British, but treated as if they're migrants and treated as if they should have an immigration status. Ironically, exactly the status that the Windrush generation were left with rather than the British citizenship rights to which they too should have been ensured to have been able to register for. So when government says it's committed to ensuring Windrush never happens again, actually it's doing precisely the same thing as we speak. Steve, I just want to talk a little bit before we go about Again, just a little to go back to the mechanics of the case. Something that we've talked about in this series is is the sort of impact that cuts to legal aid have had. Now, am I correct in thinking that you did get legal aid in this case? Yes. Is is there is is there any advice you would offer campaign groups in a similar situation? Um, as regards to getting legal aid, and if they weren't able to get legal aid, where where may, where might they go? And and was this a sort of was the question of cost at the forefront of your mind? Well, let's just pause in relation to legal aid. So, legal aid was available for the two children to bring this judicial review. It wasn't available to these children to receive advice and assistance to make their applications for British citizenship. So. Yes, absence of legal aid is a is a real problem. And you, I mean, almost it almost seems there that that because of an absence of help, you have to jump to something like strategic litigation. Yeah, I mean, you know, legal aid is a major problem. 
It's not the only one. I, I, I think. But I mean, when I say an absence of help, I don't mean just legal aid. I mean, I mean everything we've been talking about in relation to education and awareness and and yeah, you know, absolutely, much more. absolutely. I mean, the it is very, very difficult, and you know, PRCBC, for example, struggles with the fact that many, many people <laughs> seek its assistance for their kids. It cannot help everybody. You know, it's essentially a small handful of lawyers who volunteer one Saturday a month, right, with my wife pretty much at it full time, but trying to run all these big litigation cases to change law and practice. Whereas, you know, there are thousands of kids who just want to get registered. Um, are there any other organizations like it? There, there are no organizations like PRCPC. PRCBC has trained many lawyers and others, so there should be, and I think, you know, if I guess, there are an increasing number of advisors out there who have more knowledge about citizenship law. What does that training involve? How long does it take? Um, so there have been different sessions that have done, but PRCBC's done, for example, at least two day-long trainings um, for free for lawyers and other advisors to understand citizenship rights for children. And those sessions start with an introduction of the origin of these rights and go all the way through to the nitty-gritty of how do you make an application and what evidence do you put together and where do you get it from and how do you help the children acquire it and what way, what way do you want to construct a letter to a school to ensure that you get the evidence you need of the child's presence in the UK for whatever period it is? So they go from, you know, the, the right across the gamut of what you need to know to understand precisely what you're doing, but also to really understand why you're doing it. Um, and, you know, there are an increasing number of, of lawyers now able to do that work, which is great. They're still few and far between. And it's to be hoped that litigation such as this will continue to push this up the agenda and encourage more and more people to understand these rights, not least because of the opportunities it will give them to assist many, many more people. What is, to, to finish now, what... what 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 is your having having received this quite favourable judgment from the court? At least the court has said that this fee is unlawful. But the fee of over a thousand pounds being charged to children when the administrative cost is is less than four hundred pounds, um, a figure that's still quite hard to believe. Um, what is what is your what is your hope about where that judgment might lead? Well, it's very exciting, the prospect of this case getting before the Supreme Court. Um, clearly, the Supreme Court itself has to grant permission first, um, but that would be give real potential to have a definitive ruling by the highest court in the land um, and to get much more attention to these rights and, and raise awareness about them, both to the general public but also to law and policymakers and to practitioners and indeed campaigners. And that will continue to be hugely, hugely important. Um, 
But there are a host of barriers to children's citizenship rights, and they all need to be chipped away at. Um, this case is very much a first step in, I guess, re-establishing the significance of these rights for children as a basis for then going out and forcing governments and others to act in ways that respect them. Steve, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Unlawful State. If you would like to hear some of our other podcasts, you can find a link on this page to all of our podcasts in the series. 